receive the word. If you don't have it yet, that is not a problem. We're doing it a little differently today. But uh, we'll invite you at the close of the message. You'll be able to receive uh, communion. We're, we're going to receive together as, our, as a part of our benediction today. invite you to come up at the end of the message if you haven't received yours yet. Some 600 years before his birth, the prophet of old named Isaiah prophesied of the coming Messiah. And Isaiah's, the book of Isaiah rather, the Old Testament book of Isaiah chapter 4 verse, uh, chapter 7, I'm sorry, chapter 7 verse 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And a few chapters over, the prophet Isaiah writes in Isaiah 9, verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Let's just read right here what we Christians, born-again people, what we call the Christmas story as found in the Gospels in the New Testament. And I'm going to start with Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, now Elizabeth was Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary's cousin, and she was pregnant with John the Baptist, who was a forerunner of Christ. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus or Yeshua. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is now in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Ooh, I love that in the middle of this story. Verse 37, Luke chapter 1. No word from God will ever fail. Now, I'm trying to restrain myself a little bit since we're all dressed up so pretty for Christmas. But I could really do, I could talk about that. No word from God. No promise from God will ever fail. Will ever expire. It will come to pass. If God said it. It'll come to pass. If he promised it, 
You can stand on that promise. It will. He watches over his word to perform it. No word from God will ever fail. Now, he said that after telling her as a virgin she's going to have a baby. She never knew a man. She's going to be, become pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit overshadowing her. And then the angel said, for no word from God will ever fail. Even a word that says a virgin will give birth. As crazy and impossible as that is. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be to me, may your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth, Zechariah's husband. I mean, Elizabeth's husband and Zechariah. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. And again, they're talking about John the Baptist. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, this is Elizabeth now, the baby... Because again, she's six months along in my womb, leaped for joy. That's John the Baptist. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. And the story continues, beginning in the next chapter of Luke, Luke chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. The hotels were full, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were terrified. Isn't it interesting that God decided that he was going to reveal this miracle of the, of the Christ child being born to a bunch of lowly shepherds, not to the priests, not to the scribes and the elders of Israel, but to the lowly, humble, probably pretty poor as well, shepherds out in the field watching over their flocks. And God does not choose people the way we do. Hello? God does not choose people the wise, the wealthy, the promoted, I mean, and, and, and speak to them and bless them and lift them up. He, he chooses those that are available. He chooses those that would seem to be the least likely to be chosen. And he chose those shepherds. The angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger. 
Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone back into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Regardless of what the world and the systems of the world try to do, Christmas remains the birthday of our Savior. They can put all kinds of bows and ribbons and lights and trees and tinsel and Santas and elves and reindeer and stockings and jingle bells. They can put all that all over it, but we know that it means Jesus Christ was born. There is no other, no, no other religious leader in all of human history whose birthday is celebrated every year by the entire world. The entire world stops. I don't know where you are in your relationship with Jesus, your relationship with the Savior, but you got a day or two off anyway because Jesus Christ was born. That's why the Savior of the world came. No, no, he didn't, he, he didn't, he didn't, he wasn't born in December. There was no such thing as January, February, March, April. There was no such thing as that back then. He wasn't born in, in our December 25th, but here's the point. He was born. He did have a birthday. And God, I mean, the, the birth announcement God threw, that first birthday party God gave, he opened heaven and the angels appeared shouting and probably singing happy birthday to whatever. But anyway, they all heard it. The glory of the Lord shone around them. And God made a big deal out of the birth of his first begotten son. The Messiah, don't miss that. A savior. Why did he come into the world? He came into the world to save us from our sins, to restore us into right relationship with the Father. Without Jesus, we, it, Christianity would be just another religion. It, put it in the list with all the others. Jesus is the Savior. He's the only way, the only truth, the only life. Yes, Christianity is exclusive. It's very exclusive because there's not any other way to heaven. There's no other way to the Father but through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's the truth. That's always been the truth. It let them do whatever they want to do to change that, but that, that is the truth. Jesus is the way, He's the truth, and He's the life. He's the Savior. He came to save us. We could not save ourselves. Jesus came to stand in our place. And again, this right now, we're just talking about his first coming. Because there's another coming. I said, there's another coming. This was his first coming. 
There's another appearing and, 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 uh, called the second coming that we're going to talk a little bit about. But the name, the name. Uh, let's take a little bit, of, little bit closer look at the name or names. There was, a, there, was a, there was a setting after Jesus had been crucified and rose from the dead and he ascended back to the Father and the disciples. They continued on his work and they were heavily persecuted. They were arrested. They were beaten. They were accused. They were thrown in prison. And that, that is one such setting in the book of Acts right after the church was born on the day of Pentecost. And, and uh, I, I want to help us understand how powerful the name of Jesus is. How God chose his name uh, very, of course, very intentionally. God named his son. And we see this, Peter and John, they were brought before them by the, by the religious court, by the, religi the Jewish religious court of that day, because they, were, they, they again rejected Jesus as Messiah. And they asked Peter and John this, because they had just uh, experienced the healing through their ministry of a la man lame, a man who couldn't, he was paralyzed and could not walk. He sat at the gate of the temple for who knows how many years, and Peter and John walked by and they spoke to him raised him up and healing came to him and the, the religious you know uh, leaders didn't like that at all and they asked this question to Peter and John by what power or by what name and interesting they would ask that by what name did you do this then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said to them rulers and elders of the people if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame, paralyzed, and we're being asked how was he healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name, it is by the name, there it is again, of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. The power in the name of Jesus to bring healing to that paralyzed man. In his name. And then Peter says this, salvation is found in no one else. In Acts chapter 4 verse 12, salvation is found in no other, or nobody else, no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. No other name. I mean, clearly, and I don't have time to do much more with this, but right here we can see how powerful the name of Jesus is. The power of God rests upon the name of Jesus. Through the power of his name, sins are forgiven, bodies are healed, Jesus has been given such a powerful name, a name above every other name. Let's go all the way back to the beginning and get a, get a real clear picture of how powerful his name is, starting in Genesis. In Genesis, creator. In Exodus, the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's the lawgiver. In Numbers, he that shall have dominion. In Deuteronomy, he's the great prophet to come. 
In Joshua, he is the captain of the host. In Judges, the angel of Jehovah. In Ruth, he's the kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he's the horn of salvation. In First and Second Kings, the son of David. In First and Second Chronicles, the chief ruler Ezra, he's the restorer of the temple. In Nehemiah, the builder of the walls. In Esther, one who came for such a time as this. In Job, he's our deliverer. In Psalms, he's the prophet, priest, and king. In Proverbs, his name is wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, he's contentment for all. In Song of Solomon, he's the lover of my soul. In Isaiah, he is Emmanuel, God with us. In Jeremiah, a righteous branch. In Ezekiel, a good shepherd. In Daniel, one like unto the Son of God. In Hosea, a redeemer from, the de from death. In Joel, he's the trumpet of Zion. In Amos, the restorer of the temple. In Obadiah, he's the possessor of the kingdom. In Jonah, he's the God of a second chance. In Micah, he's ruler in all the earth. In Nahum, the great judge. In Habakkuk, he's our salvation. In Zephaniah, he's one reigning victoriously. In Haggai, he's the desire of all nations. In Zechariah, he's Zion's king. And in Malachi, he's the messenger of the new covenant. Who is this one? Born to take away the sins of the world. And what is his name? In Matthew, he's the son of man. In Mark, the son of God. In Luke, he is called Jesus. In John, he's the resurrection and the life. In Acts, he's the power of Pentecost. In Romans, he's the mercy seat. In Philippians, Ephesians, he's, I'm sorry, in 1 Corinthians, the power of God. In 2 Corinthians, the image of God. In Galatians, deliverance from the curse of the law. In Ephesians, he's the head over all things. In Philippians, he's divine strength. In Colossians, the head of all principalities. In 1 Thessalonians, he's the hope of our salvation. In 2 Thessalonians, he's the soon coming king. In 1 Timothy, the mediator between us and God. In 2 Timothy, he's give, the giver of life. Who is this one born king? In Titus, he's our great God and Savior. In Philemon, He's our forgiveness. In Hebrews, our great high priest. In James, he's a great preacher. In 1 Peter, a living stone. In 2 Peter, our Lord. In 1 John, he's the word of life. In 2 John, he's the one who came in the flesh. In 3 John, he's the source of all truth. In Jude, he is the majesty of heaven. And in Revelation, his name is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. His name truly is powerful. His name truly is healing. And faith in his name gives us eternal life. So Jesus, who came the first time as a humble servant, is going to come again the second time as a conquering king. Christmas celebrates his first coming, but there is more to the story. For there is a second coming that is soon and very soon. Jesus made that clear after his resurrection and before he ascended back to heaven. He had told them, but if I go away, which he was going back to heaven, surely I will come again and I'll receive you unto myself. And on the day that Jesus ascended uh, uh, before that crowd of some 500 people, the, the angel of the Lord appeared to them all and he spoke to them and said these words, this same Jesus who you see taken up into heaven, will come again in like manner. You see, the real significance of the first coming is found in his second coming. 
And I want to leave us with this urgent reminder that the Jesus that came the first time was celebrating his birth, his first coming, is coming again. And I believe it is sooner than many of us even realize. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 talks about it. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be an uninformed about those who sleep in death that have died before us, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring Jesus with Jesus, those who have fallen asleep in him, in the faith, fallen asleep, and that's a reference to the sleep of, of natural death. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, we who are still left until the coming uh, second coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who died before us in the faith. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together. Now we have a, an extra biblical word that means that phrase right there, to be caught up, and that is the word rapture. It is a word that means to be caught up together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will ever be with the Lord forever. And this is talking about his second appearing. See, actually, there was the first coming of Jesus, a second appearing, that's what this just described, and then his second coming, where he steps his foot down onto the Mount of Olives to become the conquering king for all of eternity and vanquish and conquer all of the enemies of God. And then the last verse in, those, in that passage says this, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another with these words. Now, if he's your Savior, those words are encouraging. If he's not your Savior, those words bring fear and uncertainty. We who know him, and I pray that everybody in this room knows him, invites the Savior in before you leave today, then you are comforted when you understand that he's coming again. And when he comes, we're going to be caught up with him to forever be with the Lord forever and forever. What will Jesus be like when he comes again? Well, there are several descriptions there's one in Revelation chapter 19. The Apostle John said this, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and, and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. That give you just a little imagery, not coming the second time as the humble servant, but as the conquering king of kings and lord of lords. So finally, what do we say? What more do we say? The Apostle Paul gives us these words I want to close with. Therefore, God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, 
and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee, whether you choose to or not, I pray you choose to bow your knee to Jesus in this life because every knee will bow. Every knee will bow to Jesus and declare him as Lord and King one day. And I trust you do not wait if you've not yet bowed your knee. Don't wait till you're forced to because then it's too late. Then your eternity is sealed and it won't be in heaven. How do I do that? How do I call upon his name? It's as simple as this. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith, confess your sins to him, and have your sins washed away, and you are saved. Your name is written down in heaven, and anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. We use the season to communicate and celebrate the reason. And the reason is Jesus Christ, our Savior, was born. He came to save us. And there is no other name, there's no other way, there's no other way to the Father but through Jesus. No other religion. Religion doesn't save anybody anyway. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And when that happens to you, you've heard me say, if you attend this church several times recently, when that happens to you, you know it. Nobody has to convince you, talk you into it. You know when you have passed from death to life, from darkness to light. You know when the burden of your own sin has been lifted off of you and the Holy Spirit of God comes to dwell with you. You know it. You know that it's happened. And it's simple. We just read it. You just open up your mouth and say, Lord Jesus, I need you. Wash my sins away. I believe you are the Savior. I need you as my Savior. Come and save me. Change my life. I want to know that I'm going to spend my eternity in heaven when you do appear again. And it's soon and very soon. I want to ask us to stand together right here. If you're a guest in this service, we, honey, uh, come in. We have open communion in this church. You are invited to receive communion with us. It is a very powerful experience as we receive the cup and the bread together. But you can step out and come right now. Yeah, like some of you are doing, come ahead and get it and hold it. And we're going to receive together in just a moment.
Apostle Paul said, For I've received from the Lord what I've passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In another place, Jesus said himself about the body and the blood, the the bread and the cup. He said, drink my blood and eat my flesh. There's life in the blood. There's life in the flesh. And my friend, if you grew up and hearing preachers tell you that you better not touch it, if you're not holy and perfect, God set you free from the bondage of that legalism right now. My friend, you can give communion because you as a person of faith, you sanctify the elements as we're about to do. You pray over them, you sanctify them before God, and then you can administer them to anybody, whether they're saved or not, because Jesus said there's life in it, whether they realize it or not, there's life in it. When you who have that life, release that to them and pray over that and share it with them. So that's why I said, aren't we have open communion because we are about to pray over this bread and this cup. It's going to be blessed. Now, we don't believe in in, um, uh, transubstantiation, meaning the bread and the cup are transformed into his body and his blood, but we believe in consubstantiation. His presence is with it. It's with it when you receive it. So, honey, would you pray as we get ready to receive the bread? Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, we hold up this bread. And we give you thanks for coming to be our Savior, for coming because you love us, for coming because you wanted to set us free from our sin and make us holy like you are. Help us, Lord, each and every day to surrender our hearts to you and say, Lord, here I am again. Yesterday is past. Today is a new day. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. So thank you, Lord, that today everything is new as we present our hearts to you all over again. We say, Lord, create in me that clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. I surrender to you. I give you my life. Lead me. Guide me. Help me and empower me by the Holy Spirit. We give you praise and honor and glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Lord, we take this cup. Your presence is with it. This is the representation that every time we receive it, we are to remember your sacrifice, your innocent 
blood, your pure holy blood was spilled one day on a cross. And, it, and through the power of that blood, our sins, that red blood washes our sins away and makes us whiter than snow. Thank you for the blood that washes. It can wash disease away. It can wash pain away. It can wash uh, uh, infirmity away. It can wash away depression. It can wash away heartache, grief. It can wash away every burden of life. We thank you for the power of the blood. And we receive today in receiving, we remember there's life in the blood. Or somebody in this room may receive this right now, but they haven't accepted you as their Savior, but they're going to receive this blood. We've blessed it. We've prayed over it. They're going to receive a seed of life right now. Life enters us according to your word. As you said, unless we drink the cup, we can have no life in us. Wow, there is power. There is life. There's salvation. There's healing in this cup as it is the representation of the blood of Jesus. And we receive together by faith that your blood will work its work in each one of us today. In your precious name, Jesus, let's receive. And let me just say this, your children are never too young to receive communion. They're never too young because it's life to them. The understanding comes later when you share that with them. We call it family communion around here. They're receiving life. They'll get the understanding as they get older, but they're still receiving life when they receive the bread and the cup. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. that's left to be said is Merry Christmas. Don't forget to celebrate the reason. God bless you. You can be dismissed.